if you can set the expectations properly, then you can get all the benefits without the heartache. But if you go in and say, this is what I'm going to deliver, <laughs> something <laughs> sketched on a whiteboard or in a slide, then it's probably not going to go well. Hi, welcome to Change Out Loud, the podcast where change management intersects with everyday life. I'm Adnan Ali. And I'm Kara Sundar. Today we're talking about experimentation. Sometimes we like to have a lot of control over what we do in our work, but experimentation can unlock a lot of potential that you can't realize any other way. One example is we're doing some experimentation today. Adnan and I have never recorded in the same space before. Can you believe it? I my can't. goodness. It's really been fun, but weird. I mean, I'm standing in my bedroom with him and uh, talking into a wall covered with pillows. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are learning through this process, but, you know, this has been really fun. And if we ever did it again, we'd have some lessons learned to take exactly. with us. So if you are thinking about how to introduce experimentation on your next project, we have three different types of experimentation we're going to talk about and how you can leverage those for some new ideas. So the first is prototyping. Adnan, can you talk to us about prototyping and what that is? Sure. So prototyping is just an early sketch of what you want to do. And this could be a sketch on paper Mm. where you draw out an app and you explain it to someone and you share your vision of what you want to do. This could actually be a working application, just a very simple rudimentary application that you want to share with stakeholders and to get feedback on. So it's a really early sketch of what you think the app could look like. And the good thing is it's ideally something that hasn't taken you a lot of time to build. So think really something really fast that you've put together and you want to get immediate feedback on. And it's, I would say, a starting point in the conversation of what you want to ultimately build. And I think this is perfect if you're in a situation where maybe you're introducing a brand new functionality to the market or it's something people haven't seen before, because you can get that real-time feedback before you've wasted a lot of resources on whatever this is. The funniest one I've seen is somebody drew a a phone on a whiteboard and then stood behind it acting like Siri to show what they wanted to be able to achieve with this. And, you know, it sounds so funny because it's so easy, but they were able to get some learnings out of that. And think about how much that would have taken if they really tried to mock it up and get all the technical resources in place would have taken a lot more. And it wouldn't have been as fun. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. When I've seen this work is, like I said, when you're trying something really new and innovative, but really it can be for anything. Like, it, you know, I want a new website, mm-hmm. so I'm going to just put some blocks on a slide and right. just show it to people. Does this resonate? How do you feel about this? Low risk. Right. I've done it with training. So I wanted to pitch the idea of a recorded training for our new process end to end. And what I did is I just mapped out the first two minutes of that N10 video with our content creation team and wanted to see what people thought of it. So this is what I'm thinking our training approach could look like. Here's a quick two-minute sample. And I was able to get immediate feedback. And the good thing is we got buy-in, but I also got a lot of good input that we're able to work into the final training rollout that we did. And I think what makes prototyping scary for people is it's so low quality that you might be concerned about oh, they're going to think we don't know what we're doing, or this is so such a draft, you know, I don't want to show my work like this. 
But if you can set the expectations properly, then you can get all the benefits without the heartache. But if you go in and say, this is what I'm going to deliver, <laughs> something <laughs> sketched on a whiteboard or in a slide, then it's probably not going to go well. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about setting that expectation. So have a slide that says, look, this yeah, is exactly. just a sketch that I'm sharing. This isn't the final product that we plan to roll out. We just want to get your input on it. And I have found many senior stakeholders I've worked with, they like prototyping because mm. to them, they feel like they still have a say in what happens. So I've also leveraged it as a really great influencing tool of, look, I need your support and buy-in and input to get this done. And, you know, they're more engaged. Fantastic point. The next type of experimentation we're going to talk about is piloting. So how is prototyping and piloting different? So for piloting, you're actually rolling something out to a group of end users. So a pilot could be just a very small release to a subset of users just to get their input on how does the solution actually work in a real world environment. So it's almost that next step from a prototype. So a prototype is a sketch, you're getting input, no one's using it for their day to day business at this stage. The pilot, however, it's a much more, you know, better defined product. It's likely been UAT tested at this point, so user acceptance tested. And it's at a point where it can be used in day-to-day -day operations, but from a small group of users and to get their input. So that's the difference. And the great thing about pilots is you get to see real-world usage. So going into these programs, a lot of times we're making assumptions. As much input as we can get, it's still based on the assumption of this is what we think our end user is going to do. Um, and pilots just let us play that out of, is it actually what the end user does? Are there ways that we can make improvement and iterate from there? Yeah. And in this case, the whole thing probably isn't done. Right. So maybe you've customized this portion for this specific business unit, but they can give you really important feedback to start prioritizing the backlog and make sure that the final product that goes out larger is going to be something everybody can use without those bugs. Right. And and the interesting thing about pilots that I've seen over the years is it's such an eye-opener for the teams mm. because you always go into it thinking that, you know, this is going to be the key thing that everyone wants to talk about, this specific feature. And it always ends up being, I feel like, something unexpected, um, which, which is fine. I mean, that's the whole purpose of a pilot. You're never going to know everything going into a rollout, and the pilot allows you to learn and to take those learnings and, and adapt your approach. So if you're not doing pilots, um, highly recommend them. Um, it's a really good way to uh, test out some assumptions, see how the real world usage pans out. And then of course, that can then drive your prioritization decisions on what happens next. You can also leverage that pilot group for championing yes, a change. Yes. I've had pilot groups, you know, record little videos of how did you do that thing that right. you told me about that I didn't even know about? You know, can you send me a little video so that I can turn that into a training and other people can take advantage of this? So that pilot group, it's really important you choose a group that's going to give you honest feedback, mm -hmm. but also isn't going to outright resist the change. You want kind of a friendly, smart group to yeah. help you along. And then also pilots are great to build up that confidence in your change network. Um, you, you know, anytime you're going into a change, it's new for everyone, including your change champions. So it allows them an opportunity just to get a small sense of how things are going to go for the full implementation and allows them to build up their confidence in just supporting um, their colleagues, but also just to better understand the change themselves. So you mentioned user acceptance testing. We've mentioned that in the mm -hmm. podcast before, UAT. 
What would typically be involved in UAT and when would you do it? Yeah, so UAT, um, you actually do it uh, prior to go live. So what happens is you have your end users, so the people who will actually use the solution or whatever change you're rolling out, actually run through specific scenarios in their day-to-day working environment. So they would run through these scenarios or what we call scripts, so test scripts of I'm going to go and do these activities and this is what I expect to see as a result. So what they're doing is they're trying to poke holes to make sure that everything works as intended. And if there is a defect in the code or just an issue that hasn't been considered, that we as a program team have an opportunity to find those solutions before the rollout. Um, UAT is really great because, again, it's just that sanity check of have we considered everything and and what we've developed and are rolling out, will it meet the needs of the end users? Now, very important point, UAT is not when your end user should first be engaged. Hopefully you are bringing them on early in the process through change management, guys. This is what we want to do. So um, engage those individuals early. So by the time they get to UAT, it's not the first time they're seeing it. They're very familiar with what we're seeking to do. It really is just, again, that sanity check, you know, uh, double check everything before you go live to make sure it's in a good place. Yeah, I'm also thinking about UX or user experience. If you've got a layer that you're kind of testing out, it's how long does it take them to find the button that they need to press um, if you don't have mm. maybe a quick reference guide right next to them? Because at this point, you may not. Um, so I've even seen teams where they'll set up one-on-one interviews with you know, important stakeholders they really want to make sure feel comfortable. And they just sit on the call with them and record it, and they time how long it took them to complete each step. And that's super, super helpful when you go into expectation setting with the broader group of this may take you five or six minutes to do the first time. That's okay, because you'll figure out where the buttons are, and then it should only take you 30 seconds in the future. That you can learn a lot that's going to influence your change management approach from a training perspective in those sessions as well. Oh, definitely. Um, I've done UAT testing where I've added entire sections to my training plan because I didn't expect people to encounter the challenges that they did at certain Mm -hmm. points. And and it really is an excellent opportunity to hear from your end users the experience, actually observe the experience that they have in the tool, and then, of course, build a plan in response and ensure that the support is in place for that broader group of end users. Yeah, and I want to go back to the point that you made about don't let this be the first time that you're encountering them, not only for them, but for you as well. I'm thinking about an implementation I experienced as an end user where the user stories didn't quite match up with with what real life would look like. And so there was a huge missed opportunity Mm. there, but the user stories themselves weren't robust enough to meet the real life needs. So make sure you're out there tapping people that you know are going to have to live in this thing. Right. Some of your biggest resistors are actually going to be loving the opportunity to jump Mm -hmm. in and do some work and help you to get ready for the future. So don't miss this opportunity for sure. Right. And and plan accordingly. UAT testing takes a lot of time. Um, You know, if you're, especially if you're borrowing resources from the business to help support user acceptance testing, Um, be sure that they're available, that we're not um, overworking them. Um, We want to be sure that our user acceptance testers um, have the capacity and the time to really give it the proper thought that it requires. So um, again, um, it's not the first time you should be engaging these groups, this group of people. 
um, but also really do set that expectation that UAT can take a, a good amount of time. I mean, I've seen UAT take weeks um, in some cases, depending on how large the change is. And, and a lot of times, you know, you go into it and you maybe set aside one week and we all find that that's definitely not enough. So uh, do set aside the time for UAT um, because it does typically take a lot of time. And then as you make it amendments to your your tool, as you fix defects, you then have to do additional UAT as well on top of that. So as we're sitting here talking about this Adnan, I'm thinking, why wouldn't people experiment? This makes perfect sense <laughs> to us. But my biggest challenge has been building in time to the project plan because our technical teams, you know, they're working on resource calendars too. And they they say this should take 12 weeks, we'll give you two weeks for UAT, but then those two weeks always get eaten up by something. What have you found as your biggest challenges for introducing experimentation into your projects? So I think the most difficult part is working with individuals that haven't yet done experimentation. So they might be used to the more formalized approach where you know, you have a full plan and you execute that plan and that's it. There isn't room for prototyping. There isn't room for piloting and and some of this robust, comprehensive user acceptance testing. Those processes aren't built in, so they're not used to it. So I find that as we all get into these ways of working that embrace experimentation, it's to remember that for many people, this might be the first time that they're doing it and they're not sure what to expect. Um, it, it may sound risky to some individuals, depending on your industry, the idea of just experimenting and go with the flow, it doesn't really work, right? So we need to be very clear on what it is that we're hoping to achieve through experimentation and communicating those expectations early on. I have found when I haven't done that, that's where we encountered issues because uh, to the earlier point, if you're meeting with a group of senior stakeholders and you share a prototype, it's important to communicate that, look, this isn't what we're actually building. This is just a sketch of what we think we could do. So listeners, if you've got some great experimentation ideas, we would love to hear from you. Go to LinkedIn and check out our Change Out Loud page. Give us a like, give us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone.